Hey, how are you, sir? Good, good to see you. Thanks for coming. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody this morning. We doing well? About to get a biscuit? I mean, I really like, where'd we get these biscuits there, Chris? Sir? Where'd the biscuits come from again? At the Chevron down the street here, right? Hey, let's support Nana's Kitchen at the Chevron down here by the street. So yeah, she's, uh, Nana's got it going on. So, <laughs> But it's good to see everyone. We're going to jump right in. I know uh, some of the music pe- people and teams uh, have ministries to get off to and stuff. So I want to make sure we uh, let them enjoy as much as we can of this. Um, and so I'm just going to open in prayer. And while I'm praying, if you want to open your Bibles, we'll start off in Second Timothy. So Lord, we love you so much. So grateful to be together. So thankful for just this opportunity to grow together, to learn more of your word uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So go to 2 Timothy. We're going to look at some, some of our, our key verses again. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16, we looked at it uh, last week. And it says, all scripture. I mean, hold on, before I read this verse, I'm going to pause. Remember, when I'm here doing this in this setting, you can ask a question at any time. So you're never interrupting. And please, as we said, if you have a question you would like us to kind of look at, from a Bible interpretation standpoint, just please go ahead and ask it and we'll jump right in. Does that make sense? But if nobody uh, sticks their hand up, I'm just going to keep going. Are we square? Everybody good? Everybody just got a mouthful of biscuit? Why don't y'all whistle? Everybody whistle for me. Can we whistle? <laughs> Amen. So it says in Second uh, Timothy 3.16, so all scripture, how much of scripture? How much does that include? Amen. How about the Old Testament? All. So remember in the New Testament, God said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And we talked about last week that that word inspiration means it was God breathed. So it came from the spirit of God and it's profitable. And here's the things it's good for, for doctrine, which just means teaching. So it's, it's profitable to teach us again, how much of scripture teaches us. So I say that because in our grace and faith camps, we have to be careful or we'll go hating on the Old Testament. Don't shout me down because we're talking real good now, okay? Right? But all scripture is profitable, right? And it's profitable to teach us. It's profitable to reprove us or to bring proof to us, right? It's profitable for correction, right? So it... It corrects us. It's, again, we said last time, uh, something as a practical example, Celine and I have learned as a married couple is the word of God is the court of higher opinion. So when her and I disagree on something, she's bringing her opinion, I'm bringing my opinion, and we can't seem to find a middle ground, so to speak. This word is the court of higher opinion. We have learned as a couple to come here and let the word correct our opinion. Yes, sir. So do y'all battle scriptures? Do we battle scriptures? We have at times, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely at times. We have good, healthy debate. You know, we'll ask each other, well, you said this. Well, what about this? But we come, right. we come at life from scripture. And we have found that if, you're, if we've done that and understood that, and even with each other, right, to come and as we talk as fellow believers that we let scripture be the place that we unify. 
Again, not, again, well, let's just go there. Right, we all know that. I think it's Psalms 133 that says, the psalmist said, how wonderful it is that brethren dwell in unity. It's like the oil and it drips down the beard and it has all this wonderful flowery language. Well, unity comes from Scripture. Unity is our great, our Scripture is our great unifier. Don't shout me now because I'm preaching real good. Come on now. God has the privilege and he's the only one that has the right to be right. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. y'all look at me. All the, All the Well, I understand because again, that in our current culture that we live in, not so much church only, but culture, culture in the world, there is a hate on about rightness, Right? Well, you get to be right, I get to be, even Selena, back to our example, Selena and I started our marriage many times with taking turns on who was right. Well, now it's her turn to be right, and the next time it'll be my turn to be right, and all we were was still just mad at each other. Come on now. The only one who has the right to be right is Father. Because he is righteousness. He is rightness personified. So God has the privilege to be right. We have the privilege and the honor to agree with him in his rightness. Come on now. And we stay at something. We stay in conversation. We stay, I would even say, in healthy debate with each other until we can see from Scripture the rightness of God. Come on now. Okay. So you understand, so famous verse, I'll start it, you finish it. Jesus is the, the truth and the life. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? It doesn't say he's one of the ways. Or he's one of the truths, right? Or he's a way of life or one of the ways. Now listen, when we talk about Jesus who is the word, right? Because Jesus was the word before he was Jesus. Y'all remember that John chapter one? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So again, you have to understand that when you hold this book in your hand, you are hugging Jesus. Oh. Come on. You really, because he, he was the word before he was Jesus and he was the word before there was a Bible. Because Jesus is the word, right? But notice what it says. He says, I am the way. How many ways? One, the way, you know, God is again, and this will help us. And I don't know why I'm getting off on this, but we're going to go there anyways. That sound good. You, you look at how many times God showed us, even in the old Testament, a pattern of singularity. How many ways were there to escape the flood? One, that's it. It was just the ark. You couldn't make another boat. You couldn't find another way. There was one way to escape the flood. That's it. That's why the flood and the ark, again, are a type of salvation. Because it was the only way. 
Again, that's what you have to understand, even though it was very interesting how, not to get too geeky, but I like the geekiness of this, you know, uh, a group of Naval students at the Annapolis, at the Naval Academy, they were given, they were taking shipbuilding and ship design, and they were given the, the task of everybody, each group had to build a, a boat, and then they put it in the wave pool, and whoever's boat didn't sink won, Right. So this one group of uh, cadets decided they would just follow the pattern of Scripture and they built a little miniature ark. And there's one because they said that design alone, every time a wave would come, the ark was designed to turn and face the wave. No matter which way a wave came, it was there. But even though that's cool and God gave them great engineering on how to build it and Noah built it, it still says, who shut up the ark? So who closed the door on the ark? So see, God closed the door on the ark and God held the ark through the flood. That's why when you're saved, God closes the door to the enemy on your life and he holds you through the storms of life. Come Y'all, y'all just need to wake up or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh huh. So I have an aunt that's ninety Yeah. She ready to go home. Oh no! 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 She's she's sealed. No, no, no. If she's there too, she got dementia, or a little bit of like Alzheimer'sy dementia. You have to. Yeah, she's safe. We have to remember uh, illnesses in the elderly, like dementia, senility, those kind of things. They're they're illness. Does that make sense? They're illness, and so when people get ill in their mind, even if they. Um, if their breaker flips and you start going, well, what, what happened to grandma? You know? <laughs> what happened? You know, she, you know, you just have, that's just a, a part of the illness. Just, does that make sense? If we're going to get, if, uh, come on, if we're going to get mad at people for slipping mentally in their illness and they've lost their salvation, then when my pant size go up, y'all should be concerned too. Okay, just th- I'll just throw that out there just for free. Does that make sense? But no, but we're sealed, right? So we are sealed. Now, this is a whole other. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of your inheritance and your salvation. So again, your spirit man, again, y'all understand, I'm sure y'all do, but it's worth repeating as we help others. Your spirit, when you were born again, was complete in God instantly. Amen. Right? Just as much as, again, you have to understand, see, when Adam was formed at the beginning, Adam was not made a baby and then had to grow up. Adam was made completely mature with no history. So he grew and he learned because he had no history. But that doesn't mean he grew from infancy into adulthood. Just like when we talk about the scripture saying we must grow up in God. We're not talking about we're spiritual babies. We're spiritual infants. And we have to grow up. You are formed completely spiritually mature 
fully functional, fully operational, fully ready to live in the kingdom of God. And our growth spiritually is one of experience, not one of physiological, spiritually speaking, developed. Does that make sense? Just like Adam. So we have to do that because again, one of the reasons why we're doing this class is to grow thereby. To hunger the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. But that growing thereby is not because you are a, a spiritual baby. We say those words and they're not necessarily wrong to say. But what happens is, is when we say them out loud publicly, people begin to think, oh, I'm a little baby spirit. And then I grow up and I become a toddler spirit. And then I grow up and I'm in a little kid spirit. And then I grow up and I'm a little adolescent or teenage spirit. And then I grow up one day and I finally turn 21 and something magical. I don't know. It, it, does that make sense? And I'm finally, does that, no, no. When you're born again, you're, you're complete in Christ and you are then Teflon coated by the Holy Ghost. You have to understand you are, you are sealed by the spirit of God, which means evil cannot stick to you. Does that make sense? It means sin cannot stick to you. It means the evil one, just as John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, he said, the wicked one can not touch you because you are sealed in God. Now, with your soul, which is not redeemed yet, you can grab hold of sin. With your soul, you can open the door to the devil. With your soul, you can act a fool. Does that make sense? And you will have experiences of those things in this life, in your soul and in your body, but your spirit, does that make sense? Yeah. See, your spirit is running around with a knucklehead called your soul. If you could look at your spirit, your spirit sometimes would look at Brad and soul Brad does some stuff and spirit Brad goes, you dummy. <laughs> does that, you idiot. What are you doing? I, I know I'm talking to somebody else. Let's, I'll tell you something nice and fluffy you want to hear. Is that all right? No, go ahead. Does that make sense now? See, your spirit is never giving you a problem. It's your soul that gives you the problem. Again, that's why we, we, we learn to study God's word. Right? Go to James. Man, y'all got me all over the place. Y'all all right? We're supposed to be talking about how to interpret the Bible. We're kind of talking about it. Right, go to James chapter 1. This is interesting. And you want to make a note of this, right? It says, James in, in verse 21 of chapter 1. Well, let's back up. Go to verse 19. James says, So then, my beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear. So you, quick to hear. How, how, how are we to hear? Quick. Quick. We're swift. That just means I, I'm, I'm in a hurry to hear. I'm in a hurry to listen. All right. Again, we're talking about when we're talking with each other, I'm in a hurry to listen, yes. but I'm slow to speak. Okay. See, we, we many times in the church, we got that one reversed. <laughs> I'm in a hurry to tell you what I think. I'm in a hurry to share and I'll think about listening tomorrow. Come on. And this was other, and I'm slow to get mad. Oh, we're going to just not even go there. Y'all don't even want to go there. 
Because the anger or wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, getting mad will never make things right. Getting angry. We don't say angry though, do we, Danny? We say, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You better hang on to all the minds you got. Because <laughs> you're going to need every little piece. Me too, right? I'm, I'm there with you. But we are quick to hear. That's right. I got, I got one of them little bitty Debbie pies, right? I, I ain't got much to share. I got to hang on to what I got. Right? But notice this. It says in verse 21, Therefore, because of that, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness, notice this, the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now, it's interesting. That word soul there is not the word pneuma. It is not talking about your spirit. The word soul there is the word suke, which is talking about your mind, your will, your emotions, your passions, your desires, your interests, your hobbies, your attitude, your opinion. Can I go on? Your personality. Does that make sense? Yes. Brother Hagin used to say this to us years ago, and I think he was so right. He used to say, many believers live and die and never have their soul saved. Their spirit is saved, and they'll be with Father forever, but they'll live this life with their soul unsaved. Oh, wow. Which is a miserable way to live. Well, you just live like everybody else. Yeah. Does that make sense? Again, we all love to quote this, right? It says, you know, we love, Peter said it. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a, a peculiar people. And we all used to think that said like weirdo. Right? That peculiar means you just run around acting like an idiot. No, no, no. Peculiar means... One of a kind, unique, different than the rest, stand out from the rest. That's what the word peculiar means. Right? Have you ever, like, I mean, somebody, you know, I'm an outdoorsman and, and I'll, I'll walk around and stuff, and you'll walk around in nature, and especially when it comes to rocks, I don't know why rocks is, but you'll be walking, you know, and you go in certain places. And there's rocks and you look and all the rocks look alike. You ever noticed that before? You're walking around and like all these rocks, they're just, they're just rocks. Until you see that one, you're going, well, that's a peculiar little rock. Yeah. It's got something else in it. It's got something different in it. It sticks out from the rest. Enough so that it causes you to bend down and pick it up, maybe put it in your pocket. You ever been there before? That's the word peculiar Peter was using. That you and I are peculiar we don't live like everybody else. We don't think like everybody else. We don't organize our life like everybody else. We don't prioritize things like everybody else. There should be enough peculiarity amongst us that when we're in the world, people should go, well, that person's kind of peculiar. They kind of think different. They kind of talk different. They kind of live different. And I'm not talking about churchy. Because they're... There, there's, there's a bunch of church rocks that just, they just a church rock. <laughs> Come on now. You know, they, they sound churchy, but they ain't peculiar. They're just a rock. Does that make sense? 
But here, this is why we study, why the study of the word of God is so important is because it saves your soul. And that's why understanding how to interpret it accurately is important because it saves your soul. (laughs) So it's your mind, your will, your emotions, your attitudes, your opinions, your personality, your hobbies, your interests. Um, What else could we think of? Uh, your likes, your dislikes, um, your, your, your drawings, your, your soul, your affections, right? Those kind of, that, that's all your soul, right? And your soul was not transformed immediately at your salvation. Does that make sense? Your soul has to be, that's the word that's talked about when we renew our mind, Right, And even when Paul later, so Paul, we famously know Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world. And it fits with what we did. One translation says it like this. Don't so easily slip into the pattern of this world's way of being. Don't just slide on in so easily to the way life is done. Right? But be transformed by the renewing of your soul. It's not just your mind. Again, you have to remember your mind is a part of your soul, but it's not the totality of your soul. Your way of thinking is a piece of your soul, but it's not your whole soul. That's why later in Ephesians, Paul says it like this. We must be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's an interesting distinction, isn't it? See, the spirit of your mind is the wholeness of your soul. Y'all look at me kind of funny. Is the wholeness, W-H-O-L-E, of your soul. So see, many believers know what the Bible says, but they don't let themselves feel it. Oh, come on now. Many people know what Scripture says, but they don't let it inspire their passions. They don't let it govern their priority. They can stand up and we can talk about it and debate it all day. And I can tell you this verse and you can tell me that verse. We can go back and forth and we can leave out of here. And something else governs the seed of your emotion. Because see, the soul, if you look at the word suke, the soul always talked about it's the seat, the throne of your emotion. You ever wondered why Jesus said to that, that guy, he was a good debater, he was a lawyer. He says it was a scribe, he has this fancy word for he was a lawyer. So he was good at debating. And he comes up to Jesus, Jesus, tell me, tell me what is the greatest of all the commandments. And Jesus, I love you, he just goes, well, you've read the book. You tell me what it is. And he goes, oh, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've spoken well, that the love of God should govern your soul. That your passion for God should move beyond your religiousness, beyond certain areas of your life, and the passion for God should consume every part of your soul. Amen. 
Oh, come on, y'all. We have a good church here. I love y'all. Y'all know that, right? I'm going to just quote Pastor Allen. Everybody look at me and say, Hi, I'm Brad, and I'm your friend. <laughs> just remember, I'm, I'm just your friend, right? Because listen to me, it's why a lot of Christians run around uh, and don't see what the Bible says. Is they've allowed it to somewhat transform their way of thought, but they have not allowed it to be engrafted into their soul. It does not govern what they feel. It does not govern their passions. It does not govern their priorities. It does not govern every part of their soul. Does that make sense? I, I, again, I, we, I don't know where we are, but we're just going to go this way. Does that sound good? Hopefully, I'll come back next week. I mean, but here's the thing. Listen to me. So y'all know we lived, well, those that don't know me, and some of you may not know me well. I apologize if, if I assume that. Uh, but we lived in Canada for 10 years, my wife and I. That's where this person was born. And most of the other ones I have been blessed with were born there. And so we were in Canada. And y'all know, if y'all know me, I, you know, I like to hunt and fish and do those kind of things. So I took up salmon fishing because it was awesome up in Canada. So we would go and fish salmon and do stuff. And uh, Selena has saved up some of her money and she blessed me on my birthday and she handed me like 350 bucks. And she says, this is for you to go buy a fishing pole that you want. She says, you cannot spend it on kids' clothes. You cannot spend it on bills or utilities. You must spend it all on a fishing pole. And on one side, I was like, we're like, wow, she loves it. This is awesome. And the other side, that was a real struggle. <laughs> But I went and I bought the most expensive thing. Still to this day, still got the pole downstairs. Right? I bought a rod and a reel and line, expensive line, like 25 cents a foot. It's an expensive line, right? And we're putting it on there. And I mean, it was there. It was awesome, right? And then there was a, a young man in the church who didn't have a dad. And, and he kind of took me on as a dad. And uh, I said to him, I said, Jesse, let's go fishing. He goes, okay, let's go. And again, you have to understand, he's, um, and he would say that, he would be what would be termed in our cotter culture as metrosexual. You know what I mean by that? He, 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 was, he was playing for the right team, but he was still just a little girly. Does that make sense? <laughs> right? And so, anyway, so we're there. So he had never had that, never had a dad, and we're there. And we're going fishing. I got this new rod, right? Jesse makes one cast. Bird nest the whole thing. You've never done it. Just this big rat's nest in this thing. And now I'm just... I just, I'm just pissed. I'm just mad. I'm just sitting on the side of the river and I'm cutting out 25 cent a foot line. And on the inside of me talking about these sissified young men, duh, 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 ain't good or can't do. And the Holy Ghost will, just right on here, he's like he said that, he goes, well, son, why'd you buy something nobody else could use? And it stopped me. And I said, you know, you're right. Listen to me. How far are you willing to let the word of God influence what every decision you make? And he stopped and he said, why are you buying something? And that's been the guiding decision of stuff I've done for that. That's why I buy spinning reels. And when I make bows and arrows, I make them with two shelves so left-handed and right-handed people can shoot them. Come on. Why? Because in Philippians chapter 2, God through the Apostle Paul says, he says, don't look out for your own interests only, but also look out for the interests of others. Does that make sense? 
See, again, the word of God will save your soul. It will save every aspect of that second part of you. Okay, well, we're just going to, how am I doing? See people leaving. Oh, we got 930. Got a little bit more. Y'all got a little bit more time. Okay, good. Does that make sense? So you have to understand, we talk about, and it's true, you know, we, the three-part nature of man mirrors God. You know, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are a spirit, and we have a soul, and we live in a body. You've heard that before, right? Everybody familiar? But you have to remember, when we talk about the flesh, when you see the scripture talking about the flesh, many times we talk about it as this body. You understand, your body is just a machine. Your body does not have its own will. Come on. Your, your body literally is, it's a, it's a mechanism. It's like your car. Your body is what might be termed amoral. You know what I mean by amoral? It's neither good nor evil. It's just empty. Like your car. Your car is amoral. So you can get in your car and you can drive like a nice respectable citizen. And your car is good. You can get in there and you can act like an idiot. Cut people off and drive crazy. Well, it wasn't your car's fault. It was the soul that got in the car. So you have to understand when the scripture speaks of your flesh, he's not talking about your body. He's talking about the part of your soul that hasn't been saved yet. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. No, no, that's somebody that has had their spirit saved, right? That verse there was, there would be, and, and, and again, Jesus said that, right? I wish he hadn't, because he said this, he said, huh? Well, she, she talked about when Jesus said, there will be many. <laughs> I wish he hadn't said that word, right? <laughs> but Jesus said, there will be many who will say unto me when I return, Lord, Lord, Right? And I'll have to look at them and say, I don't know who you are. Those are people who are just not saved. People who believe they are saved. People who have a form of religiosity, perhaps. And even on this, people who have experienced things. Because he says, those people as well, they're going to come back and the retort is going to be, but Lord, we healed the sick in your name. We cast out devils in your name. And Jesus says, well, I still don't know you. I think I do. I mean, I think some people like that is they don't. Um... Okay, so this is where we talk about the difference between salvation and what we call religiousness, right? Okay, that's what right. So salvation is a work of your spirit and your heart, right? Religiousness is just religion. I, I'll, I'll tell you a story. It's like this. So, and what's your name, sister? I have it. Angela. Angela. I'm. Man. We may. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Okay, good. Miss Angela. So, so Miss Angela, it's like this. I, I, I had the privilege of, of being trained by Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, right? So Brother Hagan would tell this. I only hold him tell this story a couple of times. It's still one of my favorites, though. He talked about how when uh, he was invited as a minister, he was going to go preach the 10th anniversary of a little church in Texas uh, that couldn't find the three young evangelists who started the church. And then I can't remember this part of the story, so please forgive me. But somehow later they found out what happened. So here's the history of this little church where Brother Hagin went. Is during the Depression, 
three young men get off a train, come into town, put up little handbills, going to do an outdoor crusade in a, in a vacant lot. They do this outdoor crusade. Eighty people come to be saved, and this church starts. Well, then later they found out <laughs> there were actually three charlatans. There were three hobos who were out of money. And they got together and were going to see what they could do to make some money. And one of them says, well, I grew up in church, so we can just do a meeting. And the other one said, well, I grew up in church too. And since he played the guitar or whatever instrument they had, I know the songs. And the third one said, well, I didn't grow up in church, so I guess I'll just take up the offering. And these three guys literally get out of this town, pull their last few cents together, make some handbills and put them up on town and go have a revival in an open field. And at least the guy who was leading the charge knew the gospel message, preaches the gospel, 80 people genuinely get saved, but it's not because of the purity of heart of the three men who came. <laughs> does that make sense? So, 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 see, the three men who came, they didn't have no Jesus, right? Here, here, here's the thing, too, you have to remember this, and this is all part of Bible interpretation. That's why in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I think it is, when Paul says, remember, it is the message of the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Paul never said it was the messenger. Paul never said the messenger was the power of God unto salvation. Paul said it was the message. That's why later Paul could say, you know, in books written by the same author, later Paul could say in a different place, he could say some people preach the gospel, but from a wrong heart, hoping to add conflict and affliction to my chains. Their heart wasn't preaching the gospel right. They were doing it to get me deeper into trouble. I'm just grateful they actually preached the message because either way, the gospel got preached. Because the gospel is the message of God unto salvation. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so what happened? They really, wasn't, they really had not confessed. They had not. Well, that, to salvation. Yeah, so how do you know? Well, let's talk about this. So the confession of Christ. Remember, there's two. People can't stand up and say, Lord, Lord. Because that's what Jesus said to do. And it will mean nothing. Right, Because it's not just the confession of Christ only, it's the confession of Christ into your life and then allowing that to transform you into his image. So that's the part I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's the part. Yeah. Are they not allowing that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're saved. Right. There are many people who are saved, but they're not allowing. That soul to be Yeah. Well, it's kind of like this. I'll tell you my story, Miss Angel, because so I, and, and, I know you don't know me. So I was six years old, and I got what I affectionately called fire insurance, right? Because I didn't want to go to hell. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense? I didn't want to go to hell. I'd heard about hell, and somebody had preached it, I guess, hot enough at my six-year-old six little self that I just didn't want to go there. So Jesus, I don't want to go there. Please save me, right? So I had fire insurance, but I was not a disciple. At 19, at Cathedral of the Cross over here in Centerpoint, and if it's still set up like they had it set up when I went there, if you go dead center of the pulpit where Pastor Mark Carell was, you go to the second altar bench over, the right hand end of that bench, 
at 19 on a Sunday night, I knelt down and said, okay, Lord, no more playing. You're now no longer the God of my fathers. You're my God. And Lord, I, I want you to be Lord. And so I went from fire insurance to follower. Does that make sense? So we, we, it's, not, it's not a matter of how much you've grown. Mm -mm. It's where your heart is. It's exactly right. It's your heart. It's your heart. It's with your mouth. mouth. Believe No, no, I'm not saying the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he rose again from the dead. Right? It's, it's not even just the believing of the Lord part. It's that, that he rose from the dead and it's him's now life living in you. See, and to help you, Miss Angel, with that, as we help people, salvation is, is when you say, you are Lord, and even that word itself we miss, and as Lord, you now reign here. You now have control here. Because remember, a kingdom is only the place where the king reigns. In Spanish, I love to say it just because it's alliterative, el reino es donde el rey reina. That's, it's the only place. It's the kingdom is only where the king rules and reigns. Many people like to live connected to the kingdom, but he does not reign in their life. Right? Does that make sense? Now, hold on, Miss Andrew, real quick. One, one last thought. I know you got to go, and I'll end on this, but you got to hear this. Go back over to, to 2 Timothy, at least to get to one thought. What is it... Um, in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 15, very famous, you can probably finish it for me. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let me break that down for you. So for years, I used to think that means we got to study a lot. And I got to really make sure I study. But when I looked at it and realized what Paul was saying to Timothy, he says, he says son, study the word to show yourself that you are approved. You are a workman that does not need to be ashamed. Then you'll be rightly dividing the word of truth. Does that make sense? So it's not the action of study. So when we talk about Bible study, I'm not talking about a quantity of study so I can be a good little boy or a good little, little girl. I study to learn to interpret the scriptures because the scripture, the reproof and the correction and the instruction to righteousness that it will give me is the scripture will begin to tell me you are accepted. You are approved. You are not to be ashamed. You are now when that is, that's the plumb line of scripture is righteousness. And you can go now. That one, you gotta, does that make sense? The plumb, the plumb line of Scripture, how do I know the dividing line of Scripture? How do I know I'm interpreting Scripture accurately? Because the whole, and again, I haven't really unpacked this, maybe we'll, the whole context of Scripture was a context of righteousness. So real quick, let me just do this for those that are just here. There are five contexts. I was laughing with John earlier before we started class. You ever noticed how everybody jumps up and goes, 
well, that's out of context. You know how that they're always in context. <laughs> Everybody's in context, their own, right? And that's, the, that's the, probably the biggest challenge in Bible interpretation is to constantly come to Scripture and allow it to dictate context. Not your perspective, not your background. Does that make sense? But to always come and say, Lord, you show me your thoughts. Like I jokingly picked on John a little bit last week, right? I don't want to know my opinion about Scripture. I'm interested in what John has heard from you, but I don't want John's opinion about Scripture. God, I want your thoughts about Scripture. I want to know, I don't want to talk about, well, what, do, what does, I pick up Miss Lillian now, what does Miss Lillian think this verse means? God, I want to know what you meant it to mean. I don't even want it to know. I don't want people to say, well, I want to know what Brad thinks. No, I'll be glad to tell you what I've seen, but I'm still growing, right? I've been, I've been in, in the Lord for a long time. I've been doing ministry for 22 years, and it's so funny. Selena found some old, she's purging the house. She goes, hey, found some of your old messages from back over here. What do you want me to do with them? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I'm going to have to see if I still believe them or not. Because <laughs> I may not believe what I said 22 years ago. <laughs> because I've been constantly growing in the dividing line of this, right? Does that make sense? But here's how it works, the context. You always look at the immediate context. The verses around the verse in question. The chapter in which the verse you're studying is coming into play. You look at the book or the letter. What is the context of that letter? Because each, each, and I, I like calling them letters better than books, right? So each letter has its own specific theme. So you have to know the theme of the letter, right? Then you've got books written by the same author. So you need to see, and especially the Apostle Paul, as we unlock doctrine of the New Testament, what did Paul mean? And I really want to unpack this one before we're done. What did Paul mean when he talked about ministry gifts? Because what we famously do in the church is we go to one of the lists. We go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we camp out there real good. But that ain't the only list Paul gave us. Paul gave us three. So if I'm going to understand what Paul meant by being gifted, I've got to look at everything the man said about being gifted. Do you see that? Right? Then you need to look at the theme of the Testament, old versus new, because there's a difference. But then you look at the theme of the whole Bible, and that's what we're talking about here. So how do I know when it says, study to show yourself that you're approved, you're a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, then you'll be rightly dividing the word of truth, because righteousness is the plumb line of interpreting Scripture. These words in here, they're interesting in the Greek language, this whole rightly dividing the word, it's a stonemason's word. And it, and it really talks about the process when they would cut a cornerstone, which was always the first stone they would lay. The cornerstone had to be perfectly square or the rest of the building was off. 
So they took exacting detail to cut the cornerstone so that then when they built the rest of the structure, it would plumb out right. Does that make sense? So here Paul says, hey, listen, the plumb line and the square of interpreting the Bible is righteousness. If you're not building your interpretation of scripture on the plumb line of righteousness, you're going to get off. How do we know, again, the whole Bible? It started from the beginning, right? Have you ever thought about the creation story? Remember we talked about why we don't mess with the creation story. How right was Adam when he was made? Come on now, y'all help me out. How, how right was Adam? He was perfect. He was so perfect, he didn't even have a sin nature. Right? He was right. Was that by his design? So you see, the book begins with righteousness. Someone made in the image of God, perfect and pure and holy, living in the fullness of all God had created for who? For Adam. God didn't need no planet. Come on now. God didn't need a garden. God didn't need a creation or a solar system. God was happy in heaven. God was good. Why did God make creation? For us. Why? To show us how exceedingly good he is. To show us. Come on now. To show us how excellent he is. To show us how caring he is. To show us how much he would take care of us. Right? You ever thought about that? Again, and last, again, just understand, because we all heard it grow up in church, right? We've got to keep the Sabbath. Right? You ever heard about keeping the Sabbath? Keep the Sabbath. It's holy. And I agree, it is. But you want to know why it's holy? Imagine with me, if you will. So what day did God make Adam and Eve on? The sixth day. Not, I'm not tricking you, I promise. What day did God make Adam and Eve? Sixth day. How long did it take him to make Adam and Eve? Took him the whole day. Right? At the end of day six, God's done. Adam gets breathed into and wakes up. What was first day for Adam? Adam's first day of life was Sabbath. So Adam wakes up and as an initial lesson to life, God says, hey, listen, I want you to live a whole day knowing I got you. I want you to live a whole day eating from what I made from you, enjoying what I made for you from my effort, not yours. To know that now the six days that follow this seven, I got you. Does that make sense? Amen. So, Lord, we love you so much. Hold on. I think we got to go. Have a great thing. I'll see you in just a minute. Love y'all. Come back next week. I'd rather wear that if I could. Um.